You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. This week I lost a, a good friend and a great mentor. His name is Walt Gerber, and I've been thinking about him all week. He died on Monday, down out Tuesday morning. Walt Gerber was the pastor at the Church of Menlo Park Presbyterian Church for 28 years. Great guy. He told me one time that um, he thought on his tombstone they would put the phrase, he believed in grace, which is really true about Walt Gerber. Um, he said that uh, he had an elder who had been a critic over the years who said to him, Walt, well, you know, the only problem with you is that you, the only thing you ever talk about is grace. And he said, I take that as the greatest compliment. He said this, your best efforts to be like Jesus will fail. But his grace in your life will allow you to walk next to him. I really like that. Let me say that again. Your best effort to be like Jesus will fail. But his grace in your life will allow you to walk next to him. We're jumping into a study of the book of Ephesians here, and the book is all about grace. In the book of Ephesians, Jesus is the dawn of a new age, and it's his grace that allows us to walk with his light today. So as we jump in here, I want to begin with the question, well, how do you begin this walk with Jesus? How do you find this path that he and I are going to walk together? In essence, I'm really asking the question, how do you become a Christian? I want to start there today because this is a wonderful book, a great journey we're launching on. Let's start with the basics. How do you become a Christian? What's the door through which we enter this whole adventure with Jesus? Well, there's an advertisement uh, floating around on television now uh, about a door. And it's kind of an experiment. The producers of the ad uh, sent teams to five different cities around the world, San Francisco, Sao Paulo, Shanghai, Delhi, and London. And they looked for buildings that had two doors that were side by side with a lot of traffic going through. And they set up a sign over each of this. Uh, on uh, one, over one door, they put the sign, said beautiful in big letters. Over the other door, right next to it, they put the sign average. <laughs> and, then they, and then they watched people decide which door they felt they had a right to go in. And you see them here, like this woman here, just stopping there, trying to figure it out. You see shots from inside the building looking at their faces through the glass, wondering, which door do I have a right to go through? And even, even you as the viewer of the commercial tend to find yourself making your own verdict, like which door do I think she should go through? Uh, so it's very uncomfortable. It's very confrontational, uh, this ad. And what's interesting is uh, these women are all walking through the average door. In fact, at one point, so many are walking through the average door that there's a queue that forms. People are actually waiting <laughs> to go through the average door. <laughs> one woman from Delhi, after realizing what she had done, says to an interviewer, she says, it was my choice, and now I will question myself for the next few weeks, maybe months. Interesting thing about uh, this ad is that I think it makes the point uh, how what you see determines where you will walk. What you see determines where you will walk. What you see in yourself, what you see in the world, what the world presents to your eyes, 
It has an effect on where you think you could walk. Now, I know guys are not necessarily, for me, I look at this and I go, I'm all over the average door. That's the one I want to go through, right? So it doesn't quite work for me. See, that for, if you're a guy, you might have to change the, the sign on the left there from beautiful to ripped or something like that, right? I don't know why that should matter to me, but it, it does. Uh, or, or successful, Right? But I want you to think about how you see yourself and how that might influence how you walk. Now, I raise this because the Apostle Paul here, at the very beginning of this letter, uh, is praying for his reader's vision. He's praying that they will see more with the eyes of their heart than they can see with their physical eyes. So I'm going to show you this. Um, uh, uh, but let's actually, let's pull out our Bibles right now to Ephesians chapter 1. We heard this passage, uh, Will did a great job reading it earlier, but if you just scan it, you look at verse 18, you'll see uh, that he's praying that the eyes of their heart will be enlightened. By the way, as you're flipping over there, you know how you find the book of Ephesians? It's a little book, um, it's an acronym, God Eats Popcorn. I don't know if he really does or not, but Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's how I find it. I'll tell you it's on page 949 for today, but you'll be able to find it tomorrow on your own. Uh, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. If you're able, would you stand? Let's read God's word aloud together. To the heart, just the heart of the, of the prayer. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you could say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power." This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. So notice three prayer requests. Now, Paul's writing to believers. We see this in verse 13. He says, you've heard the word of truth, the gospel, or the good news of your salvation, and you believed in him. That's Jesus. So they're believers. We see also in verse 15, he says, I've heard of your faith. So they're believers. But he's saying, I, I, I want you to see what you've been given, and I'm going to pray, therefore, that the Lord will open the eyes of your heart so you'll see these three things. And I think these three things are really uh, steps that anybody can take in order to become a believer, to come to know Jesus, as Paul says. So if tonight you're curious, what would it mean for me to become a Christian? I think Paul's prayer gives you a really good pathway. And in fact, tonight I'm actually going to invite you uh, to become a Christian or to know that you are a Christian. And I'm going to ask you to, to, uh, to use a, con a connect card to let us know that you've made that decision. So I, I just want you to think about that. Um, what would it mean for you to walk through the doorway of faith and begin uh, tomorrow as a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, there are three things that Paul asks God to help his readers see. A gracious relationship, a gracious identity, and a gracious power. Let's look at these three things together. First, Paul prays for a new way of seeing Jesus and a gracious relationship. 
He says in verse 18, I pray that you will see the hope to which he has called you. So here, the first step to becoming a Christian is seeing that Jesus is calling you into relationship with him. I can't help but think that the Apostle Paul is reflecting on his own experience of Jesus calling him to hope as he writes these words. Do you remember what happened to Paul? It had to do with light and his eyes. Uh, Paul would have thought of himself as the least likely person that Jesus would ever come calling. Uh, because he's traveling from Jerusalem one day to Damascus in AD 33. His intention is to arrest, imprison, and maybe even kill some of the followers of Jesus. And yet, what happens? There's a bright flash of light. This is the, the dawn. Jesus, and it throws him to the ground. His eyes are physically blinded to open the eyes of his heart, and he hears the word of Jesus speaking directly to him. And the thing is, Paul prays for the people in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. He's, he's saying, I want for you something very similar to what Jesus gave for me. I want you to know he is coming for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. I'm not talking about the person next to you. I'm talking about you. Now, this is uh, something of what we see in these doors, this commercial. Basically, these women are standing in front of the doors and they're going, I really want to go through the beautiful door, but I don't think it's for me. I think it's probably for somebody else. I don't think I have a right to walk through the beautiful door. And here's the thing about us. You and I have um, a, a deeply intractable uh, inability to receive grace. When we think there's good news or goodness out there, we tend to think it must be for somebody else. When my wife and I had been married for just a couple of years, I came back from work one day and I thought, I want to do something special. This was unusual for me, okay? Um, and I passed through the train station and I bought uh, from a guy that was there a bouquet of daisies. I took the, you know, the bus home and rang the doorbell to our apartment because I really, you know, I want to get maximum impact from this thing. So I rang the doorbell and I had a silly smile on my face and my wife, Ann, she comes to the door and she opens up the door and she looked uh, surprised and a little bit confused because I didn't do this very often. And, uh, well, apparently I made a tactical error with this. I failed to tell her that the flowers were for her. Um, to me, this seemed kind of obvious, but it was a struggle for her to get there. And this developed into what I would call just a little bit of an altercation between us. And as it escalated, I asked her, well, who do you think the flowers were for? And she said, I don't know. Maybe you brought them for Christy Gothier, who is the beautiful woman who lived in the apartment next door. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're kidding me. Why, if I were bringing flowers for Christy Gothier, whom I'm not married to, would I ring your doorbell with a smile on my face? Like it was beyond her and it was totally irrational. And maybe somebody here understands it, but I, I didn't. But what I now know is that you and I are just like Anne and that we have a really hard time receiving Grace. And so that's why Paul says, I know that's, it's true for me, it's true for you. And I, I want you to know, God is calling you. He has hope for you. Yes, in your life right now. When I became a Christian years ago, I was a young man. And, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, actually. And I, I knew a little bit about the story. I, I knew that there's this claim that God had had a relationship with someone named Moses and Abraham and Noah and Peter and... But it, it was absolutely inconceivable to me that a modern person could have a personal, vital relationship with the creator of the universe. And even if I thought that were possible, I never would have thought he'd want one with me, you see. Everybody else, but me. 
And yet, when someone was first explaining to me the good news of Jesus uh, in a very simple way, it was like I'd heard it for the first time. It was like God himself was trying to get my attention. See, this is the first step you have to take. You have to say, wow, I think, I think he is calling me into a gracious relationship with, with him. And that, of course, this is the way Jesus moves. The gospels testify the fact that he shows up for a Samaritan woman to call her. He shows up for a timid Pharisee to call him. He shows up for a, 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 a demoniac in chains to call him. He shows up for a short little tax collector hanging in a tree. He shows up for the prostitutes and the blind and he says, I'm calling you. And the fact is tonight, you're here because I believe he's calling you. Now, you don't have to have an experience like Paul does with all the drama of that. In fact, I think most of us don't. Um, Paul wanted to encourage Timothy that his experience was just as valid as his own. Do you remember Timothy was Paul's mentee and he had learned the faith at the knee of his grandmother and his mother and it was such a gradual, imperceptible process that he couldn't have told you when he took this step. All he could tell you is that he knows Jesus has called him and he's for me and I have a relationship with him. So maybe that's the way it is for you too. You just wake up today and you go, I think I believe. New way of seeing Jesus, gracious relationship. Now there's a second prayer request. This is a new way of seeing yourself, a gracious identity. Paul says, I pray that you will see, also verse 18, the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. Now we're gonna have to unpack that's a little thick. But I want you to see that the second step to becoming a Christian is seeing yourself as God sees you. Not as, not as you see yourself now, not as the world sees you, not as your parents see you, as God sees you. Talks about an inheritance. Reminded me of a man who was very reluctant to leave an inheritance behind. He'd made a lot of money and he was quite greedy. And he told his wife that when he died, he wanted her to put his money in the grave and made her actually promise to do this. Well, sure enough, it came the day for his memorial service. The casket was open, and just before they closed it, his wife surreptitiously put a little shoebox in the corner of the casket. And her friend in the back of the room said, you are kidding me. You did not actually put his money in the, in the coffin, did you? And she said, yeah, I did. She said, you know, I, I made a promise. A promise is a promise, and I'm a good Christian woman. I keep my promise, so... I took all of his money and I put it in my account and I wrote a check and I put it in that box and put it inside the coffin. <laughs> right? And Paul talks about an inheritance. She's pretty smart. Now, um, I, there's a little bit of a twist here, so I want to I get your attention here. Paul's not talking about the inheritance that Christians receive, and, and the Bible will speak of that. Paul here is talking about the inheritance that God receives. Now, now, what is God's inheritance? And what is it? So what is an inheritance? Inheritance is something you receive when someone dies. Usually it's a family member. So does God have a family member who died? Oh yeah, of course. His son, Jesus. And what does God get when his son, Jesus, dies? What's he get? All of us. Thank you. Yeah, you're the first person all day who's answered that question right. Yes. God bless you. Yes. I am looking at God's inheritance right now. This is his wealth. I love that it's plural. It's riches are you and you and you and you. Oh my gosh. This is what God wants most in the world. He wants us. And he calls us 
Now this stretches credulity. He calls us saints. And I'm looking out and going, really? Uh, that's a surprise, because I know some of you. Um, but, that's, but that's who we are. That's the way God sees us as saints. Now, saint, it, it just means holy one. No pressure. Uh, uh, holy one. Now, there's two ways to become holy. One is, like we talk about the path to, to sainthood, is to live a perfect life. Okay, that would be like option A. You could live a perfect life, and at the end, God could say, yep, you're a saint. The other way to become a saint is just by God's gracious declaration. It's where God just goes, you know what? On the basis of what my son Jesus Christ did, I'm going to call you a saint, a holy one. Holy, by the way, means just to belong to God. So he says, you're mine. You're mine. You're what, you're what makes my life rich. Now, it's hard to believe that we're saints in that sense. So I thought of a little illustration, and it's a little bit corny, but I do corny really well, so uh, no problem. <clears throat> How many of you made it down to the 520 bridge last weekend? You know, you could walk or ride your bike. Did anyone go down there? I see a couple. I see it. Yeah, okay. This is a good. So my wife and I went down there, me and 40,000 of my closest friends. I hope you didn't go in the afternoon because it was really hard to get off the bridge once you got on. But here's the highlight for me. As we're getting on the bridge, I'm biking over and I see a guy with a blue blazer. And I thought, that's weird. Doesn't he know this is Seattle? We don't wear blazers. And I looked at it and it had a little crest and it said Guinness Book of World Record. And I went, oh. That's the guy. That's the Guinness Book of World Record guy. Now, some of you um, are too young to know this, but when I was a boy, the Guinness Book of World Record was an actual book. And as a boy, you had to buy it. And we would actually read this book. It was awesome, you know? Remember the guy with the longest beard? Uh, people that could eat the most hot dogs in a minute, uh, longest breath hold underwater. I mean, we used to try this stuff. I tried that one with my sister. You know, we see how long she'd maybe get in the, in the book. Well, actually... Do you know that the floating bridge is the longest floating bridge uh, in the world? The 520 bridge. You, you know that, right? So we are in the Guinness Book of World Record. I mean, we've arrived. This is it. Give yourselves a hand, Seattle, right? Come on. Some of you will do it. I get a little emotional saying Presbyterians clap. So here's my corny illustration. I just imagine that you are the Montlake uh, cut bridge, okay? You're the little Montlake draw. And you live near the 520 bridge, but you know very well you're not the 520 bridge. And maybe you could try real hard, but you're never going to be the 520 bridge, okay? So here comes this guy with a blazer, and he's certifying bridges, right? And he comes up to you and he goes, I'm looking to see if you might be the world's longest floating bridge. And you're going, this is not really very likely. I know better. Um, and he, said, he looks at you and he goes, um, let me see. And so instead of measuring you... He goes over and he measures the 520 bridge as though that were you. It's going to give you credit for the dimensions. And he goes, yeah, so I think you're about 7,579 feet. And you go, mm -mm, I've never been able to reach more than 344 feet. And then he looks at you and goes, yep, I think you're also a floating bridge. And you're going, I am made of metal. Look at the rust. Uh, I, I think I'm pretty sure if you put me in water, I go right to the bottom. He goes, nope, I think you are the world's longest floating bridge. And you're going, I think you've been drinking too much of your product, sir. Uh, I'm just a little Montlake Cutbridge. Now, what he has just done for you is what God does for us in Jesus Christ. He measures your life, your value, and your virtue, not by your accomplishments and your path to sainthood. He measures your life, your value, and your virtue by measuring Jesus Christ. His life of obedience lived before the Father. He 
his death on the cross by which all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. So that you stand before the Father clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he looks at you and he knows you're a sinner, but he's chosen to see you as a saint. Isn't that amazing? That's grace. That's a gracious identity. Now me, when I first was wrestling with the good news of Jesus, I had a hard time seeing myself this way. I still do. Back then, I was entangled in substance abuse, inappropriate relationships, materialism, and as I would discover, uh, even racism. But Paul is saying, uh, not that I pray that at the end of your life you'll achieve some blessing. He's saying, I want you to know right here at the door, at the beginning of your life, you have already been blessed. Notice verse 3 of chapter 1. With every spiritual blessing in Christ in heaven. You've already been given in Christ every blessing that heaven holds. You've already been given it. And the process of the Christian life is not a process of gaining blessing because you're so obedient. It's the process of seeing the blessing you've already been given. That's the journey we're on. So the door to sainthood is not at the end of the process. It's right here at the beginning. And it comes from grace. You've got to step into those riches of God's inheritance and claim it. You can think of grace like a check. God says, I give you all the wealth of heaven, but you do, you do have to claim it for yourself. If I, if I write a check for you for $2 million, first of all, you're in for a surprise if you go to the bank. But second of all, you'd have to go to the bank to check. It's just a piece of paper. It's worthless. And the same is true of God's grace unless you claim it and take a step into it. Because that's the second step. God's calling you, but he's declaring you righteous. And now let's move to the third. Here, Paul says, I pray for a new way of seeing life. I pray for a gracious power. I pray that you will see, quote, the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. That's verse 19. The third step to becoming a Christian is seeing the power to live a new life. And it's the power of the resurrection. I mean, I just love it when Will was reading that. I just got goosebumps. I think the power at work in your life right now it's the power that brought Jesus back from the dead. You got all of it right now through Jesus Christ. That's amazing. This is not the power to be successful and make everything work the right way. Actually, I think more important than that, it's the power to face failure. Because remember that the cross is linked with the empty tomb. But people who engage this power, people who are able to find the garden even around the graves of life. God empowers you. That's the point here. There's a moment in this commercial, it's a turning point, when uh, one of the women uh, from, I think she's from Sao Paulo. Yeah, she's, she's from Sao Paulo. She says, every day I go through the average door, but today was a unique day, so I chose to go through the beautiful one. And she does. And then one by one, you see these other women who chose to go through the beautiful door. And it looks like a surprise to them. Um, in one case, the first one is a mom who grabs her daughter and pulls her at the last minute away from the average door. And they go through the beautiful door together. Another is a woman in a wheelchair who grabs her friend. And she actually has to back up several steps to go wheel around and go together through the beautiful door. And they've got these great smiles on their face. There are three teenage girls. And one's pushing her friend through the beautiful door. There's another one behind her pushing her through the beautiful door. And the three of them go through together under the influence of a kind of a power. 
that they couldn't achieve on their own. And this is a great picture of the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. I love the way the Apostle Paul says it in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Christ in you, the risen one, through the Holy Spirit. The question is, what kind of life do you dare to live? I remember clearly as a young man wrestling with the good news of Jesus, I uh, associated myself with a fellowship of college students. And one day I visited this gathering um, and I was sort of an outsider looking in and I saw a couple come in. I knew they were not married and yet she was visibly pregnant. I'm not proud to say that my first reaction was that's not right. My second reaction was there's something really beautiful going on in this room. There's a power here that I don't know anything about because I watched these two members of this community be embraced by this community, this Christian community. Obviously, it was an unwelcome and unwanted pregnancy. But this community came around him and said, you know what, we're going to walk with you through this. And it was more beautiful than anything I'd seen. It was the power of Jesus Christ that allowed them to do that and the power of Jesus Christ that was going to support this couple. And I watched over the next few years that power really support this new family. And I thought, I, want, I need that power in my life. And I found it. It was the power of Jesus Christ that helped me turn out of my depression, that helped me reshape the kind of relationships I lived in, that actually refocused my career. I didn't want to be a lawyer. But somehow I thought I had to either be poor or be a lawyer. That's the way I was raised. And Jesus said, you know what? I care for you. You can trust my power. And I started doing creative writing and volunteering. And I love my life. Jesus wants to do that. He wants to empower us. All right, a gracious relationship, a gracious identity, and a gracious power. Paul says, I pray that for you. These are the three steps to becoming a follower of Jesus, a Christian. My friend Walt Gerber said, Jesus' grace in your life will allow you to walk next to him. That's what I learned from Walt Gerber. He was a very honest man, very vulnerable. He allowed his congregation to see in his life to see him walk through divorce, mental illness, losing his temper, even in his marriage, sickness. And he showed us, as he showed us all of those things, the incredible, matchless grace of Jesus Christ. And thousands and thousands of people know Jesus because of their exposure to grace through Walt. The truth is, grace is the only door that matters. I wish we had made big blue signs and put them over our doors today so that you would have to walk out of the grace door as you go home uh, tonight. It's not only the, the first door, it's the only door. The whole path of the Christian life is a path of nothing uh, but grace. So tonight I want to give you an opportunity to start the journey with Jesus. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. And at the end of that prayer, um, if you pray wholeheartedly, you can know you're a Christian. You are. And if you're going to pray that prayer with me tonight, I'd like to ask of you three things. First of all, um, I'd like you to take out your bulletin and write on it, get a pen or pencil and write on it, Welcomed Christ In, April 10th, 2016. And then I, I want to ask you to keep that. This is a very important day for you. You keep that. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. 
Second thing I'd like to ask you to do is to let us know at the church. Take the Connect card and check the box that says, I would like more information about becoming a follower of Jesus. Let us come alongside you and help you understand how to begin this new relationship. And the third thing is, I would invite you to tell a friend, tell someone that you've welcomed Jesus in tonight. Now, the last door I want to present to you is a door that we find in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. The Apostle John, living in the same area to which Paul addresses this epistle, Asia Minor, John's actually in exile on the island of Patmos, which is near Lesbos, which we've been seeing in the news a lot. And he has a vision, and Jesus shows him this door. And, and Jesus is at, presenting himself out the door saying, I want to come into your life. And you know, Jesus is that way. He doesn't force his way into our lives. He comes, he calls, but we're the ones who open the door. And so I want you to hear these words as though they were spoken by Jesus to you tonight. He says, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. Let's pray. Oh, great God. Thank you for your grace. If tonight we have been hearing a voice other than the voice of this preacher, grant us the faith to trust that it's you through your spirit calling us to new life, to eternal life in Jesus Christ, your son. We want to thank you for calling each of us personally into relationship with you. I want to thank you for living your life and dying on the cross for me. I want to thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to empower me to face all of life's challenges. And now I take these steps to receive these gifts from you in Jesus. Thank you for making me a Christian. Open me to this grand adventure as you walk beside me through every day of my life and for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.